candid conversations that might just change how you look at the world. Let's bridge cultures, transcend borders, and build a global family of change makers. Welcome to If By Chance. Billy from Karachi, Pakistan, helps people recover from opioid addiction. His lived experience makes him uniquely qualified. And during this conversation, Billy shares what this work looks like, who it impacts, and what he believes we should do. I'm from Pakistan, from a city called Karachi, on the south side of the city, where I'm located at, close to the beach, mainly a coastal area down at my city. It's quite messed up here since a couple of days. There's a political turmoil going around the city lately. Elections are coming up. There was this suicidal bomb attack somewhere on the north part of the country. I actually live by down the south. So, so far, it is a big news out there for the world, but so, we are kind of used to it. These things happening around here with the country, especially when the elections are coming up close by, these kind of things be happening. So does it affect your everyday life or not so much? Well, not really that much. Well, yeah, sometimes when things like these happen, so we do get into a strict security environment by all the like police and the departments that take care of the security things around here. Other than that, the market, everything, all, all the daily life is as same as it is. So you don't feel like it really creates, it's kind of a normal for people there. It doesn't create extra stress or worry? At times it do, especially when something like this puts a city in a lockdown for like a couple of days. If something like this happened and for the security concern, government have shut down the whole city for a couple of days, then it might. But if it's just for a day and the strictness over there with the security protocols around the city, it doesn't really matter. People actually go on with their life. So this country right here is going through a lot of poverty, turmoils, political turmoils. So people are usually more in what they eat every day than on what's happening around the city nowadays. Uh, suicidal bomb attacks is more of a common thing around here now with people living their life on a daily basis. It, it doesn't really affect that much. It, it, it basically affects when you really get cut off from your groceries, the markets are closed, if something like that happens, yeah. So what does a, a normal day look like for you? I work with people with drug addiction problems. So basically my life is like their life. I have to wake up just like them. I have to wake up like five o'clock in the morning. First thing in the morning, I have to go through with my prayers, my fitness, go over to my clinic, meet a lot of people around there, counseling sessions, check up on the routine with psychiatrists that I have in my facility, and groceries, admin work, the admissions, the release, the clinical OPDs. I myself am a recovery too from drug addiction. And this is my own clinic. So I would help people like me get up with their drug problems. Drug is a major issue around here. And it's very cheap. It's more cheaper than a bread. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, a gram of uh, opioids or stimulants cost for a quarter or 35 cents uh, American US dollar. So, a lot of people are affected with drug addictions over here. Then there is no jobs, and people are going through all these psychological things around here. So a majority of youth around here is falling for this, these drugs and everything. 
the judicial system around here is really weak. You know, whenever somebody get caught up with, let's say, these for the con for the distribution of a contraband in this country, they don't really get like that, that sort of imprisonment or punishment with the law. And it's easy to get away with such crimes. It's easy to bribe people and get out of this. So usually you cannot really get a very strict hold on to this distribution of these contrabands. Um, a lot of people from colleges, especially since last two, three years, I've been, uh, I've been observing this, that the educational institutions around here are like getting very hardly affected with these drug addictions. Do you think that the education systems are being targeted? I don't really think so. The educational systems are being targeted. Usually the youth is actually getting targeted. But since the education system is majority occupied with youth, it's one of those sectors we can distribute on drugs easily. So the people that you're treating, are they generally young? I usually get patients from every ages. I've been through somebody from the age of 12 and 13 who was affected with opioids, heroin, a uh, couple of months from now. and. I've also dealt with people who in the age of elderly and they're from like, they're like 56, 57, somewhere around 60s. But majority of them comes around from age group of 20 to mid 35s or 40s in the late 30s or early 40s. This is what I get. So what was it with you that made you seek treatment? Personally, I myself have suffered from opioid. That was 10 years from now. And I was getting into a chronic stage. I was getting multiple treatments. So my last treatment, which was my actually fifth treatment from the drug addiction, I actually sort of had a good sponsor with my helping me out in my recovery, my recovery counselor. I take him as my teacher too. He actually really worked hard on me and made me realize that I have got into something really wrong. With this drug addiction that I, environment I got myself into, I was married, I, I lost my wife, I lost my kids, family kicked me out, I was almost on the streets. So that sort of thing, actually that whole kind of environment made me realize that I must give up this time. So after giving it up for like when I was two years in recovery, two, three years in recovery, I guess, I sort of applied for this, uh, this small short diploma courses with Colombo plant people. These are some people from USA. They give out curriculums over drug sciences, addiction sciences. So I did those, and it boosted my morals more up, keep on staying in recovery. And then as time went by, I really wanted to help people like me. Uh, so that's how it started. Now I've been doing this for like last three years. I have a place of my own, a clinic of my own, where I treat people like me. I've been 10 years in the recovery now. Why I decided to go for the treatment was basically for my own recovery too. It keeps me in recovery more, most of the time. Otherwise, situation around here in this country and the cost of drugs is so cheap and availability of that drug is so easy uh, that one can easily fall into it. The poverty issues around here, the turmoil with jobs, and the environment, the politics, and all that thing going around there, it's easy to fall for this thing again. So basically, what I focused for myself was if I treat people like me, it really helps me staying in recovery furthermore than I should. So you build a strong community for yourself. Yeah, 
Exactly. Day and night, if I'm helping people like me, it actually helps. First, it helps me stay in recovery and it boosts my morale. And then I actually get to help people out. And when I started treating people and helping people out like me, I actually felt what they mean in terms of their problems, their issues, and staying clean and, st- and staying sober. How, what are the barriers that come into life? People who are married, they have different issues. People who are single have different issues around here. The youths have different issues. Jobless people have different issues. So I actually felt it. I knew what I was dealing with and I could actually reach them really quite easier than any psychologist who haven't really experienced drug or anything like that. And so it was easy for me. And soon God gave me success in what I was doing. And I got a lot of people out of this thing. And so the word actually fell out to the city. And I'm pretty much known around this industry when it comes to treating people. There are a lot of treatment centers around here. So almost every treatment center here in Karachi knows me. I'm like a, somebody who's a motivation. They, they look at me and they boost their morales up. They want to keep themselves sober and keep themselves clean. How did you get your first client? Well, on my last treatment, my first treatment, I actually stick to the treatments and the rehabilitation center I was taking my last treatment in. I stick with them for a long time. I stick with them for like five years. I used to go home for the initial two, three years. I actually volunteered myself for the services for a full-time job over there. Then they nominated me for this Colombo plan to do some short diplomas regarding drug treatment. That was government-based treatment facility. Where I was working at and I was acting as a recovery counselor over there. At the same time, they gave me a little job to work out with patients, taking care of them and how to handle with the family. And by giving me the chance of doing these short diploma courses in addiction sciences from Plumbo Plan actually was helping me out really in practicing what I was learning from these courses into that treatment facility. So after I left that place, I stayed there for like five years and I really needed a a job for myself as well. Uh, So actually I started working at a call center for a part-time and for a part-time I still joined with these people. And like after seven years, when I thought of getting a place of my own, so this place that I took my treatment and actually helped me a lot in getting my own place. And my first client actually came out of that treatment center who was a relapsed patient from the place that I took treatment from when I was taking care of him back there in my voluntarily services. He got relapsed again and the family approached me. So I took care of that. I, I admitted him in my own clinic. That was my first patient. I got him into six months in recovery, found him a job. And when he got a year into his recovery and he went back home, so in his neighborhood, people looked at him and they asked him that where you took your treatment from. And he told the word of mouth spread like this. Yeah. So it took some time. Yeah. I guess when you're passionate about something, when it's, it really means something to you, it's so much easier to stick with it. Well, yes, it is like this. Well, before I, I got in myself into this thing, I used to work with automobiles. I was a sales representative for selling cars, used cars. That's what I used to do. 
But like I said, I was a chronic patient myself. It took me like five treatments to get over the opioid habits that I adopted. In the last treatment, I figured out, obviously, when you have to get off with something like this, you have to overall think about the environment you're getting yourself in, availability of drugs. That is so easy. Cost of it is so cheap. And so I really needed some strong, passionate points for me to get out of it. Staying in, helping people like this out actually was main reason for myself to stay in recovery for a long time. And as time passed by, uh, now I'm 10 years sober and I have my own treatment place. Actually, I have two of them. Right now I'm at the main office. So, and I have an infrastructure of 25 patients in my single facility to treat patients. I take them for the like 90 days or at times if they are chronic patient, I go for like 180 days into treatment with them at my facility. And by the end of the sixth month, the last month, I try to get them a job, try to get them into that habitual mode or adopting how the work goes. Because usually drug addicts over here been jobless for like years. The longer their drug habits is, the longer they've been jobless. So they have lost that touch on how an average man works. They wake up in the morning, they go to work, they take care of their responsibilities, they give time to their families. So probably have to work into, into the all uh, sectors, the recreational factors, the vocational skills. I have to work on everything. And for that, I take around six months and I try to get my society, somebody out of this drug habit and give Put a better man back, giving a better man back to the society, giving that person another chance. So it's tough, but I, I just love doing it. And I feel like I don't have anything else to do now. Since God got me out of this, I must pay back in terms of doing good deeds, in terms of getting people, helping people like me get out of this such turmoil got themselves into. So you said it took five sets of treatments. Yeah. for you to feel like you had really made a difference in your own life. Can you describe to me when you felt like things were really shifting? Did you always have hope each set of treatment that it was fixed or what was it that made you relapse? Did you need to change a pattern in your life or was it the people? Basically, when I look back into that, all these treatments that I went through, um, I come around two things. Some issues that I went through uh, my daily life, going back into the same neighborhood, going back into the same circle of friends that, that I adopted this opioid habit with. And a thing of the first thing before this one was basically those treatment centers where I took my treatment at. They weren't really that much of, let's say, passionate. They took it as a job. They didn't really took me that serious. They don't really take their clients that serious like I do it for myself. So you do the steps and then we're done with you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, overall, there are, three, there are a lot of ways of doing treatment around the globe. But there are three major modes of treatment that usually get applied here in Pakistan. The first one, which is usually adopted by charity-based organization is cold turkey, the model of cold turkey treatment. And then there is this Minnesota program, which is a psychiatric-based, totally psychiatric-based treatment. 
And then third one is the Colombo plan, which I got myself into. So with these five treatments, I actually went all these modes of treatment in these five treatments. And a different treatment center was adopting a different treatment method. Another one was adopting a different treatment method. But nobody took it that serious. They took it as a job. They, they didn't, I didn't really have that much of a good counseling, you may say. It. I didn't really recognize on why this thing is happening again and again and why I'm going back to drugs. I couldn't figure out my relapse point. What was those things? Was it fear? Was it low stream? Was it Down syndrome? Was it not getting a job? What was it? They didn't really made me focus on while I was in treatment. They didn't really made me focus on these things, right? And in the fifth treatment, because I got myself a good sponsor, somebody who was also recovery, 13 years into recovery when I started um, my first year into recovery, my, my teacher, the guy who actually sponsored my treatment. So since he was a recovery himself, he reached out to me on those points where I was actually getting myself back into drugs, where I was failing my treatment again and again. So he actually improvised me over there. He groomed me and reached out as a good brother, or you may say as a fatherly figure towards me. I believe if you cannot reach these people, you cannot really help these people. You cannot feel them. You cannot really help them. You can do it as a job from nine to five, but you cannot really get somebody out of treatment. The only few people who are themselves as a recovery. They run a NA program, like Narcotics Anonymous programs over there. And there are just few people in my city, basically. I'm one of them. There's like a group of 15, 20 people who really help people like me or help people with addiction problems get out of it. At times, even funding their treatment. At times, even taking care of the expenses of their houses while they're in treatment. But this is how it is. This is how it is. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it, it must be expensive. There are drug treatment centers that are really expensive around here. But at the same time, there are charity-based centers over here too. But nobody's like the institution, the government institution that should be monitoring and observing these treatment centers because they are obviously they are government-based and government-funded. They don't really pay that much attention to these facilities. And so they don't really know what's happening down there. And just because they don't know what's really happening down there, a lot of people do take treatment, but they don't really get out with this drug habit, even after treatment when they go back home. A lot of people go back into the same neighborhood. A lot of neighborhoods around here, let's say, a neighborhood that are deeply affected with the poverty things around here, sell drugs in their neighborhood. They have cartel problems. They, are, they have distribution in almost every street, every corner. And the patient and the guy who takes treatment goes back to his neighborhood because he lives in that neighborhood. It's hardly, it's deeply affected with these drug cartels selling drugs. So it's really hard for somebody to get out of this habit. And I suppose that they, everybody knows who they are, so it's very difficult for them to walk past. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like that. And plus, uh, drugs are really cheap around here in Pakistan. So the lower the cost, the easier the availability. And not a really that much of uh, observation or monitoring of the treatment facilities. I remember 10 years from now when I was into this drug habit. Then now that I see people that are coming right now and uh, what's the quantity right now, you can say it has increased three times in more in population with these drug addiction habits than it was 10 years from now. So three times more of the population is using drugs now. Exactly. 
And now, uh, since last three years, four years, I've been observing that a lot of females are falling for this drug addiction problem too. It was not really common back then for a female to get into drug addiction problem. And since last three years, there's a huge number of females, young females from colleges, from universities, falling for drug addiction problem. And with females, the treatment of the treatment center is like 10 times more expensive than somebody for a male. Why? Probably because there are not many out here. Let's say if there are like 26 uh, treatment centers that only treat male, there are only three that treat females. And those that are treating females are like charging 10 times or five times more mm -hmm. than with a treatment facility that's treating a male client. So it's, it's not really easy for a female who gets into drug habit get out of something like this around here in Pakistan. And it's getting really common. I personally blame the judicial people around here. If they try to take severe actions against those people who distribute, who deal with distribution of contrabands and take a severe action against them, this might get controlled since that's not really happening and easy to get easy to bribe law enforcement people and get out of something like this even get caught up with it's not really helping out. i mean i know somebody who used to sell drugs and used to get in trouble with the law and he used to bribe and get out and at the same time when he's going through his court hearings and all that procedure he's still selling the drug again so it, it's not actually going anywhere and that's how people are really getting affected around there. What do you think would help you do your job better? Whenever you open a treatment center in the neighborhood, you get threatening calls from people. If that location or that area in that city is affected with a lot of drug cartels in that neighborhood, you cannot really open a treatment center. You cannot even open a close by from that area. And I'm not really sure uh, how uh, something like this could be helped around here other than law enforcement people could help us. But since they are corrupt themselves, we have to hire our own private security for it. Even if we are running a facility in a neighborhood, we have to get our own security. We cannot really depend on law enforcement for this because they are involved also in the distribution of something like this. Because the corruption is way too many of them. It, it, that doesn't mean that all the law enforcement people are some like this, but majority of them are corrupt. So. Let's say if I want to sell drug into this neighborhood, I can easily bribe at the police station that actually uh, is of my neighborhood. I can bribe people over there and they know that I'm selling drugs over here and they ain't going to do nothing about it. As a matter of fact, if, if something goes wrong, they're going to call me, inform me and tell me to clear off the streets for a couple of hours because there's somebody coming in, there's a governor coming in or there's some minister coming in for a round for a survey. So I shouldn't be there. And then as soon as that goes by, they give us, they, they're going to call me back and they're going to tell me, you can keep on doing back the same thing that I'm selling drugs and do that thing again. So how have you opened two centers? If it's so hard, how do people get it done? I must say where there's evil, there's good. That's how it is. That's the only thing I believe in. Maybe it's the God that's helping us out with it. It's the courage. It's the passion. If people have passion in doing bad, we have passion in doing good, and we just do it on our own, our own, on our own will, on our own strength, on our own money. We have to do it. At times, 
we do get a lot of support with certain NGOs at times with medications and food or with shelter or with land place for a shelter. We do get uh, that help. But other than that, the really help that we need is from law enforcement agencies. And there's nada, nothing over there. And the judicial system, that doesn't really help either in getting us something like this. So if you can't get help regarding the judicial system, then what might work? (laughs) That's a tough question. I've never thought about it. People do have addiction problems back in there in the United States and some of the very good countries, very much developed countries. So over there too, people have problems with drug addictions. I guess it cannot be stopped. But here, it's a totally different scenario. It's a jungle out here. Laws are crazy and nothing can really help that much other than your own morals for stopping something like this, for the prevention of something like this. Other than that, I don't really think so. There's much of a help over there. Though I do believe if, let's say, if the corruption stops with the law enforcement agencies around here in Pakistan, especially in the city of Karachi, we can get over this drug addiction or this distribution of contraband thing real quick and easy. But I guess I'm not really sure what the future holds for this country right here with this distribution of these contrabands. But I can still, we can still hope for good. And that's what we rely on so far. So are there more people wanting to leave with the situation the way that it is? Usually people don't really have reasons around here to quit drugs. Somebody who's into this kind of habit need a reason to live his life. Usually with the poverty thing going around here and uh, the, the failure of the education system, the failure of the, let's say, judicial system, everything is failing around here. Nothing is really working. So usually people find it hard to get themselves a reason to give up on this. Though you can say four out of 10 people do wish for getting through with this habit, getting themselves sober. But once again, even when they take treatment, the treatment, the places that are doing treatment doesn't really take treatment that's serious. And they go back and uh, get relapsed again. A lot of patients I have found that actually have given up on treatment. They think treatment won't work. You actually have to make themselves believe it was hours and hours of pre-counseling sessions before getting themselves into treatment. And if you make their mind up, they probably might want to really to go. But let's say if I'm such a passionate person in what I'm doing right now, there ain't many like me out here. And the population that's affected with drugs is way too many for even somebody like us to handle. It's probably going to take a lot of time. But still, hope, we always have our hope up, no matter how the turmoil the country is going into no matter how turmoil the situation every around here with drug addiction is going into, we can always hope for a good thing. We can always hope for a brighter day. And what do you want other people around the world to know? Well, firstly, all those people who try to give Pakistan aid, let's say US, give aid programs, I want them just not throw your money into the country in a mode of just thinking, we are helping them out. You must observe where your money is being utilized, especially. Let's say USA program. 
USA program wasn't much of a help for the people than it was for those corrupt political system around here. It didn't really help people. It didn't really help normal man that much. Then it helped all those corrupt judicial system ministers and those uh, parliament members or political members. It helped more them in filling their pockets up, in making properties and bank accounts abroad in different countries than helping a normal man. If I walk around in the street and there's this drug addict who asks me for money, who's begging uh, on the streets and asking for money, I'm going to make sure that if I'm going to hand over him the money, he's going to go do the drugs again. So I might work on help that really should help him out, like get him good clothes or probably feed him or probably insist him or try to motivate him to go for the treatment and help him or pay those people and help him over there rather than giving him the money and telling him, go get yourself whatever you need because he's asking for it. And eventually he's going to go for the drug. He's not going to buy anything else. He's not going to buy clothes. He's not going to have go for the shelter. He's not going to save all that money and go for the treatment. He's not going to do nothing like that. So same thing is with other countries that usually give aid over here in Pakistan and usually don't monitor their aid, like how it is being utilized and how, where it is going. So I must say, if this, this message from your platform reached out with people abroad in different countries, I must say, if somebody from there is listening to that. Whenever you try to aid somebody, somebody from these kind of poverty countries, do try to monitor your aid too, because you must know where your money is going. So how would an everyday person do that if we wanted to give some money for good? Who should we be giving it to? There are a lot of good people around here, too, at the same time. There was this guy named Abdul Sattar Edi. He did a lot of human, humanitarian work around here. And his work was deeply, heartily appreciated by the people of this country. But since he's passed away, now whatever the institution he made for himself, it ain't really performing the way when he, it was performing when Abdul Sattar Edi was alive. And there's this another guy, his institution name is JDC, the owner of JDC. He's a very good guy. He really helps people out. He really put the money at the right place. He makes sure that his money goes into the right place and it's being utilized at the right time. So rather than giving it to the government, Pakistani government, I personally suggest people should come here, look for the institution who are really working on it. And they ain't really hard to find out. You can find a means and actually give money with it. Because obviously this is a third world country and it's trying to get back on its feet. People are really enthusiastic to get over it. But it's such a turmoil over here with political situation, which is, uh, political situation the failure of judiciary. It's such a turmoil over here. It's really hard for a common man around here to get up and get something really good out of life or make something good out of his country or make something good out of his society or street. So it's really hard, but people are still living around here I mean, the way they're used to it, I guess. That's how it is. And are there any good things that you see around you? I, we've talked about a lot of the more negative sides of living in Pakistan. What do you enjoy there? There's a lot of good things around here too. I mean, let's say the tourism part of the country is really good. If you ever research for the tourism part of this country, so that is really good. And people are very good around here. They're very hospitable. 
and uh, very open and uh, very uh, caring. If somebody from abroad comes at it, we, we hardly let people, if I mean, even if you, let's say, as a foreigner, you walk around in my country and you go to a local street vendor, uh, the street food vendor, and you order something, he's not going to take money from you. So people are really good around. It. So that's what keeps Pakistan going, I guess. But the turmoil is not giving a chance for this country to get back on its feet and do something better out of itself. So, but other than that, people are really good. Tourism spots really good. Pakistan have a lot of food. Pakistan have a lot of resources as well in the province of Balochistan with minerals and everything. But nothing is being utilized as it is supposed to be. So there's good thing too. The people are good, especially good with guests. We have we are very hospitable with guests coming into our country, and we hardly let people pay around here with food if they are from outside. There are like four different provinces. Four different provinces means four different culture. And when I say culture, I really mean totally different culture. Uh, you got tribal areas that have a very different culture. Every province have a tribal area. Other there are like four provinces. One is KPK. There's one named Balochistan. There's one named Sindh. And there's the, the last one name is Punjab. Sindh is, and Punjab don't really have that much of tribal scenario around here. But with people of Balochistan and KPK, uh, it's totally different culture from each other. Uh, it depends on what kind of culture you mostly looking forward for it. You can almost find everything around here. You can find in, in, in cities, you can almost find it as if it's a downtown of New York or something like that. I mean, it's that rich too when it comes to cities. And when you go to rural areas or you may say tribal areas, there's different culture around here. People are very caring, kind. The tourism spots are really good around here. But other than that, with the people of the country themselves, it's a hard leadership getting back on their feet and getting everything right. Well, it sounds like you're creating a wonderful place and community for people. Well, well, I'm trying to. I'm trying hard. When I see somebody like me from here, obviously in Pakistan, somebody who's been who's, who's stuck with his addiction problems, that's going to do that flashback when I was suffering from the same problem. And I know what kind of life he's going through. And I know what kind of problems he will be facing. I know the mental symptoms, torture he will be going through every day. So I have, you not know, say all the, well, you can say sympathy. And I do care about it. I do need to make a difference. Since God gave me another life, one way or another, got me out of something that I was finding myself getting out. I need to, as if I owe a God. So I'm treating these people, passing my deed back to more people, asking them when they recover, passing it on to somebody else so we can make a change, we can make a difference in where we live, where we eat. But it's, it can be only done one step at a time. So I'm trying hard, trying to get more people into it. And that's how it is. Billy works in a space that many people put in the too hard basket. If you've ever worked in the corporate world, you may have heard of that old cliche of picking the low-hanging fruit. But maybe quick wins are just what we need when we're looking to create momentum. What's interesting to me 
is that Billy was given a chance to gain recognised skills quickly that would make a difference in helping people overcome opioid addiction. This led to Billy being recognised by other professionals working in the recovery space, enabling him to set up his own centres to help more people. Billy is making a real difference, despite the numerous forces working against him beyond his control. He's part of a community that sees what's good and what's possible, even if that means just taking the world one day at a time. Billy also wanted us to know that foreign aid is not helping the people it was meant for. Do you know more about this or any of the other issues we touched on? We'd love to hear what low-hanging fruit you see is ripe for picking. And if you've got questions or want to connect with Billy to learn what works and what doesn't in the opioid recovery space, click the link in the show notes. Now, dear listener, it's your turn. Have you got something to add to the conversation? Then get in touch via the links in the show notes. Whether you have questions, a message of support, or resources that you think might help, we'd love to hear from you. And if by chance, you know someone with a story that will inspire others, be sure to let us know. Your contributions help turn inspiration into action drive positive change and make life just that little bit better. And if this conversation inspired you to expand your worldview, head to hellohuman.global to join the conversation. 